Welcome back. To start this week, I want to first give a brief overview about sentencing philosophies and sentencing in general before we dig fully into corrections. So listen into the first of this two-part series this week with this episode. So let's begin with talking about philosophical reasons for the use of punishment in our system and then talk about the realities of what sentencing actually is and whether or not it actually fits within our philosophical ideals. Keep in mind, the first we first have to determine the purpose of our system before we can then determine whether or not we're adhering to this purpose. And if we aren't, we might want to reassess the whole thing. Okay, so punishment. What is it and where does it come from? Historically, the earliest forms of punishment were quite barbaric. We used to kill people, torture them, burn them at the stake, make them battle it out in a duel. Think Game of Thrones kind of stuff. And in addition to this, we also used to banish and exile people to get rid of them. The whole you must leave and never come back. Kind of a good Lion King reference for my 90s kids out there. But then society evolved. We stopped doing some of these things, except killing people. We still have the death penalty in the United States, in fact. Um, in fact, about half of the states have death penalty policies at this point, though few of them actually end up using them. And kind of as a fun fact for us here in California, we have a moratorium on the death penalty as of last year, but even before that, we hadn't executed anybody since 2006, um, even though we pay on average about $95 million a year to maintain death row. So that's a story for a different time, though. So at a global societal level, we stopped doing most of the old school punishments at the onset of the 16th century, and we instead started using labor camps as punishment, where we could use prisoners for their free labor. Now, speed up to the 1800s in America when we first established the use of prisons, and you'll see a deep-seated connection to the abolition of slavery. So come take ADMJ302 with me to learn more if you're interested. So going back in the 1800s, there was a growing division between rich and poor and a lack of jobs for the poor due to essentially technological advancements even back then. So crime became a bigger issue. And remember, there's something to be said about poverty and the link to crime. Well, at first, punishment remained physical. By the 1820s, penitentiaries would replace physical punishment. And as a fun fact, penitentiary actually comes from the religious notion of serving penance, which is a repentance of sins. So more on the evolution of prisons in the second episode. So punishment. Why do we do it? Well, there are five main goals of punishment. The first is incapacitation. And this one is basically adult timeout. We remove you from society so you cannot commit more crime. And research doesn't really support that this works. Um, all it does is overcrowd our prisons and jails and put people, you know, behind those fortress-like um, in those fortress-like facilities. Second is deterrence. So if we punish you harshly, you'll learn not to do it again because you don't like the punishment. That's the idea here. Um, but clearly this doesn't work because 67% of offenders reoffend within three years of release and 80% within five years of release. So most people actually come back and clearly were not deterred. Third is retribution. And this is the idea that you need to pay for the crime you did and that you should get what you deserve. Um, this is the notion of what's called just desserts. And the idea here is that punishment should be proportional to the crime. So it's not necessarily about them not doing it again. It's more about giving them what they deserve. Um, 
Fourth is rehabilitation. So we need, the idea here is that we need to fix you so that you don't commit crime again. The focus is on treatment of the underlying problems that contributed to crime. So we need to give things like job training, education, substance abuse counseling, etc. And research shows that it can work when we do it right, but unfortunately we generally just don't do it all that well. And then fifth is restoration. And so this idea is the idea that we need to bring back harmony and bring the victim and offender and community together to kind of mediate a resolution that restores everyone to the place they were at before the crime so that further crime does not occur. And it requires cooperation and offenders to take responsibility for their actions. Um, well, it not, might not well be suited for all crimes. Um, and so we've talked about this actually a little bit earlier in the term, but it actually does decent for some crimes that people would not expect it to. Um, so restoration actually has some pretty good significant um, positivity in uh, crimes, even for things like sexual assault. So those are the five main ideas behind why we punish. So it's up to you in society really to determine which is the most important. And then we can assess whether or not we're doing a good job of achieving the goal. So let's talk a little bit about sentencing options. Um, the options that we have, right, and the things that we can sentence people to. And so what are some of those options? Um, it can be incarceration, so sending somebody to jail or to prison. It could be probation, um, which is something that somebody is doing outside of correctional-based facilities where they're still living in our society, but we're able to keep an eye on them and check in on them. And this is actually what we use most frequently in the United States. There's also fines, so a monetary-based punishment. We also can use um, treatment as a sentencing option too. And so, for example, um, making people go to something like drug counseling. And then even the death penalty is an option when it comes to sentencing. And that's the idea of the government kills you. And again, it's still a thing in about half of the United States at this point. But overall, we use these sentencing options a lot and more so than any other place. We currently have nearly 7 million people under correctional supervision. So we have almost 4 million on probation, 1.5 to 1.6 million in prison, 750,000 people in jails, and another 850,000 people that are on parole, which is an after effect of once somebody's been in prison. And we even have about 2,700 on death row in the United States. But it's those in full lockdown that we care about the most for our con our um, conversation here, as the 2.3 million people incarcerated represent an incarceration rate of about 700 per 100,000, which crowns the U.S. as the nation with the highest incarceration rate by a long shot. Most other similar countries in, in Europe that we usually compare ourselves to have incarceration rates near 100 per 100,000. Yet again, ours is about 700 per 100,000. And just as a way to put this in perspective, the U.S. actually only represents about 5% of the world's population, yet nearly 25% of the world's prisoners. That should be a staggering statistic. So is the US, U.S. just that much more criminal, or is there something else going on here? So let's talk about it. Um, our use of incarceration drastically increased starting in the late 1980s to early 1990s. So our extreme incarceration is actually a fairly recent phenomenon, at least historically. But what happened to make this the case? Well, we started punishing certain types of offenses much more. So cough, cough, 
drugs during that time frame. And we started sending people away for much longer amounts of time. So putting them in our prison-based systems for much longer sentences. And so gone were the days where people got short sentences um, and or were released on what was called good time after serving a very short amount of their term. We moved to a tough on crime era that said, nope, you need to spend the majority of your sentence and we're going to um, sentence you to even longer than we ever have. And so some of this also gets embedded into the mandatory sentences, which mandate prison time for certain types of crime. And so a prime example is the three strikes laws, which impacted California drastically with an influx of low level offenders being sentenced to life in prison. And data within the last five to six years shows that one in nine people in prison was there for a life sentence. So prisons were left to kind of figure out what to do with all of this, as it meant that more people were coming for even longer, which means that they needed to make some space for them and make it very fast. So which punishment philosophy do you think is embodied here? We clearly weren't trying to restore or rehabilitate these offenders. It seems that we thought we were trying to deter them with these harsh punishments, but it backfired seeing as all it did was clog the system because it's a system that most people actually return to. And it seems that we were in line mainly with incapacitation where we threw a lot of people in prison for their adult time out, but that's really all it seems that we've done. Lock them up, but we did nothing to actually fix the reasons for crime occurring. And take that for what you will. But unless you thought the main purpose of punishment was to incapacitate, recognize that this doesn't look to be in line with what we maybe want to do or with effectiveness. Whew, all right, that was a lot, I know. Um, I'm going to leave you with that and listen in to the Chapter 8, Part 2 uh, portion of the podcast to learn about correctional facilities and life in prison because we got a lot to cover this week. <laughs>